This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. Hello, I'm Glenn Wheeler, and welcome to episode 258. last week about the cozy connections between wind energy mogul John Risley of World Energy GH2 and the liberal political machine. We already knew that Premier Andrew Fury's dad, just retired Senator George Fury, and Risley go way back. For example, Fury Sr. was on the board of Risley's Fishery Products International, FPI, back in the day. Now, we learn from the business publication AllNewfoundlandLabrador.com that Fury the Elder has become an advisor to Vortex Energy. And guess what? Vortex Energy is in the same wind energy business as John Risley. It's interested in storing hydrogen under Robinson's River in southwest Newfoundland, a scheduled salmon river. Here's what else is in the allnewfoundlandlabrador.com story, and I'm quoting from it here. The company, that is Vortex Energy, is led by CEO Paul Sparks, a Newfoundland expat and well-connected venture capitalist with close ties to the provincial and federal liberal parties. He was an aide to former premiers Brian Tobin and Clyde Wells and operations director for then-Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, who appointed Fury as a senator in 1999, two years before Sparks departed politics. So, small world. Last October, allnewflyinglabrador.com reported that George and Andrew Fury, the premier and his father, had stayed at a luxury Labrador fishing lodge owned by Risley in July 2021. Andrew Fury has claimed, my time, my dime, but has refused to provide receipts to back his claim he paid for that luxury stay. So there you have it. That's what's going down right now in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. Fueled by taxpayer subsidies, these liberal insiders are rushing into a wind energy strategy without considering the many unanswered technical and financial issues. When the bubble bursts, as many experts predict it will, who will be holding the bag? Residents of the port port Peninsula, whose lives will be uprooted by 164 wind turbines, each more than 600 feet high. It's been a struggle for residents from the get-go, from obtaining basic information about what's going on in their own backyard and getting the province to require world energy to get work permits like everyone else. And now residents are in a fight whose outcome will be a game-changer, a federal environmental assessment for the World Energy Project. That will be a longer, more extensive review than the provincial one underway, with the possibility of funding for community and Indigenous groups who want to hire experts to review the plans. We spoke with Cornerbrook lawyer Shelley Sr., who represents the Environmental Transparency Committee on the Port-to-Port Peninsula. 
Okay, Shelley. So first of all, explain to us why the federal assessment is such a big deal for your clients. There is a provincial assessment underway. So why the federal? Uh, in a word, resources. Um, you know, the Newfoundland and Labrador government, unfortunately, has been, uh, you know, putting less and less money into environmental assessment. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I've, I've watched over the years as there's, as I say, uh, you know, they have, uh, um, even while they're saying that they're, they're absolutely committed to the environment, they are not providing the resources that are necessary to do the appropriate assessment uh, that needs to be done. They're, they're too uh, uh, focused on the development and not focused enough on the cost of that development in terms of environmental factors. The federal process is much more thorough. Um, you know, a, a in my opinion, a project of the magnitude that is being uh, suggested here needs to go through a very um, robust process, uh, you know, because there are there are a lot of areas of federal uh, jurisdiction, like the uh, Migratory Birds Act, like the Species at Risk Act. Uh, like the Fisheries Act, what's going to happen to the ocean as a result of this, this uh, project. It, you know, all of those things are federal jurisdiction and the feds have much, uh, you know, much more uh, resources uh, yeah. to throw at that this and a more, uh, a, a, and also a more, I don't know if you'd call it, uh, uh, the act is much more detailed. And, so and on the provincial side, is it, is it, uh, in some ways, a factor of the number of staff they have in the um, department to do these things? Very much a factor of that, yes. Mm -hmm. I have a, a, a relative, a close relative who just, who just retired from the uh, em environment department. Well, actually, he, he worked in water resources at the end. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he feels that the Newfoundland and Labrador government is the most, he's an environmental biologist, and he thinks that they're the most environmentally uh, illiterate government that we've ever had. Mm. And that's really saying something. Yeah. And, you know, uh, so and a big part of that problem is, yeah, lack of staff, lack of, lack of money to put into, uh, you know, that that particular uh, uh, department. And from what you were saying just a moment ago, Shelley, it sounds like with the federal assessment, more things are taken into account. Um, so you mentioned the migratory birds. Um fisheries. So um, I guess uh, there's a longer uh, checklist when you're dealing with a federal environmental assessment in terms of the conditions the proponent has to meet. Exactly. And the other uh, the other thing about a federal assessment is that there are different levels of assessment. And my and my suggestion would be uh, that this should be this assessment should be done at the highest level because of of, you know, there are so many environmental factors to consider. Another huge one, of course, is a consultation with the indigenous population of the area. You know, mm. there, there are, uh, and what I would hope would happen is that there would actually be an environmental assessment review panel um, 
uh, I don't know what they call it now under the act because it's been years since I worked in that area. It used to be the SIA, the Canadian Environmental Assessment Act. It's now they've taken the word environment out altogether. They're mm. saying that they've done that because, you know, they want to be able to consider more than just the environment. Uh, but, you know, in, in, in practice, uh, unfortunately, uh, I think the environment gets left out all too often. And I guess the other important thing to mention about a federal assessment is that there's participant funding. So with the provincial environmental assessment, people have to, you know, they're at their kitchen table going on the Internet, trying to educate themselves on uh, very scientific, very technical things. And uh, there's no money to hire uh, uh, an expert, a biologist or whatever. And there is funding available in the federal act for those that, purposes. Yep, that is absolutely right. And and uh, and as I started to say, I don't think I, uh, you know, there are different levels. And, and so the highest level uh, would require the most thorough assessment. And in my opinion, that is what needs to be done here. Mm. Now, you and I were both on a call a couple of weeks ago with two staff from the Impact Assessment Agency of Canada. And that was the purpose of that uh, meeting was to review the request from your client and other people who want the federal assessment. So now they are considering the information. And what was your what was your feeling after that meeting? Um, I, I felt a little frustrated, uh, not because I, I thought that those uh, uh, women were as helpful as they could possibly be in the circumstances, uh, but I felt in some ways that their hands were tied, you know, and that they evaded answering some questions as to, and, and, and really the biggest one, and, and this is big for both the, you know, both the federal and the uh, provincial uh, assessment, and that is what exactly is it we're assessing here? That's a huge uh, uh, red flag to me on this project. And the reason for that is that it seems to be a moving target. Uh, you know, they started out with one map. Uh, and then we heard that they had added some sites, including, for example, Pine Tree, uh, or what's known locally as Pine Tree Mountain out in, in uh, out on Port Port Peninsula. And then we hear from these women the other day that no, uh, a pine tree has again been taken off the table. Uh, we have reason to believe that this company are, you know, squirming around to avoid uh, a federal assessment. And um, so, you know, while I, I thought that those uh, that that those two women were as helpful as they could be in the position that they're in, uh, and they told us a lot about the process, they didn't tell us anything about the substance. And, and you could see that there was a lot that they didn't know about the substance. They took a lot of notes. Uh, but I want to mention, uh, uh, first of all, uh, with the Impact Assessment Act, you can, uh, if you're on what they call the project list, then you're immediately subject to a federal environmental assessment. Uh, and there's a question as to whether or not this project is on the project list. And that goes right back to what I was saying earlier about what exactly is being assessed here. For example, we have learned that uh, the uh, company, Mr. Risley's company, has purchased the port in Stephenville. We know from local wisdom that that port in Stephenville is, is not big enough to, um, you know, to allow the size ships 
to come in and out uh, that would be needed to supply hydrogen to Germany, which is what, you know, really what we, we know is, is the ultimate goal here. So that means there'd have to be significant dredging of that harbor. It's Stephenville. Stephenville was a U.S. Uh, Army base. People don't know what's buried under Stephenville, but we can we can bet that there's some toxic stuff. And there was a paper there. mill there later too, of course. And a paper mill, exactly. So you know there are some, but has the port been registered as part of this environmental assessment? Because one of the tricks that proponents sometimes try is breaking these you know, projects that are actually all part of the same project into smaller projects again. So they'll potentially escape uh, environmental assessment. So, uh, you know, what I got out of that meeting was that we know that we have, uh, you know, that that some environmental groups in Newfoundland have, have actually asked the minister to designate this project uh, as requiring a federal assessment. That that's been done, and the and you know the women that we met, we met with the manager on the designation request, and and uh, another woman who's doing I guess communications uh, with the, uh, the impact assessment agency. So while there was a lot of explanation of you know the the project list and a lot of discussion around the project list, and 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 it seems that they were saying, well, we've skipped that step because they're not on the project list. Uh, so now we've gone to Section 9 and your designation request. But what I was hoping would come out of it was that they would take all of the information that, they, that we gave them. For example, that Mr. Risley had bought the Port of Stephenville and that it's altogether too tiny because it might very well be on the designation list. Uh, item... 40, 52 and 53 on the designation, on the, on the uh, uh, project list, we'll call it, includes uh, either building a new terminal or expansion of an existing terminal. So if the, the plan is to use that port to transport hydrogen from uh, uh, Stephenville overseas, there has to be a huge expansion of that existing port. And as I referred to the, you know, some of the toxic uh, waste that's very likely around there, that could be a huge environmental impact that, you know, is going to have an impact on the inshore fishery, uh, is going to have an impact on, on fish and fish resources. And again, the Fisheries Act is a trigger uh, of the federal assessment. So, although, you know, this is Although, huge. Shelley, I was, I was uh, alarmed to, uh, as I understood from those uh, two staff, that dredging was not uh, something they would consider. I found that somewhat shocking, uh, considering... Me too. You know, what you say about the port of Stephenville. Yeah, I mean, there's dredging and then there's dredging. I mean, you know, there's dredging to, to, to build a government wharf so, so fishermen can, uh, uh, you know, tie up and, you know, there's, there's, there's dredging. And then there is changing the whole landscape of the ocean, you know, to, and because that, they're talking about a huge project there if they've got to make that, uh, that port big enough for big uh, ships to come in. And yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, dredging at that level, how can that not mm. be subject to environmental assessment? Yes, quite shocking. As you say, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of moving target. I guess uh, there's, 
they're interested in the long range mountains. They start up with Lewis Hills and then uh, Pine Tree uh, is uh, down the shore, down the coast there from Lewis Hills. And then we have Port of Port and then the Angwell Mountains. So there's yeah. this, there's a string and the pieces keep getting taken out and put back in. Lewis Hills was on, now it's off. Yeah. Pine Tree was on, now it's off. So now we're left with Port of Port and the Angwell Mountains. And I know that the people on the poor, um, you know, the Codroy Valley are are extremely concerned about the uh, about the estuary and the, uh, you know, there's a bird sanctuary out there that is uh, protected by the National Capital Commission, is my understanding. So again, the uh, Nature Conservancy like of Canada, yes, and uh, and also the watershed uh, would be uh, where they were going to uh, where they want to build these turbines would be in the watershed for the Codroy Valley. Yes. And the other important point that was raised by Greg Mitchell, uh, again, you know, a, a biologist, is that uh, uh, five at our meeting on uh, last Thursday is that five scheduled salmon rivers flow into Bay St. George. Mm. You know, so it, we're really talking about a, a huge environmental impacts here. Yes. So, Shelley, um, I guess there's a, a political dimension here because we have uh, port to port we uh, we have that part of the project and John Risley, who has bought the port of Stephenville before he's even his bid is even better proof. We don't know if there are other bids. Uh, so even before his bid is formally accepted, he's going through the environmental uh, impact uh, process, building test towers and buying the port of Stephenville. So uh, he seems to be pretty confident that um, his bid is going to be successful. So um, should we be, um, you know, they say that, uh, you know, paranoia is, is just a heightened sense of awareness, but uh, should would be one be a bit paranoid here? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, though, I, I agree with you that those things are, are rather alarming, uh, but we need to bear in mind that he has not, as you pointed out, even been released from environmental assessment provincially. Uh, you know, no, no uh, decision has been made yet as to whether there's going to be a federal assessment. Uh, John Risley is a gambler. Uh, because while he might be assuming that, you know, the his pals are going to stay in power and everything is going to go his way, I, you know, they're out the the company that has been doing uh, work out there has been discovered to be operating without a permit on three separate occasions. Uh, members of the group that I'm representing actually, you know, made sure that they got shut down until they were properly permitted. But that took two or three days because the government said, oh, you're working with no permit. No problem. A couple of days later, here's your permit. Get back to work. And there don't seem to be any consequences. But there are people watching and there are people extremely concerned. And the idea right now is to ensure that a thorough environmental assessment is done of this project and that people are as educated as they can possibly be about it. Because I think there are, I think people would have a serious problem uh, with what is going on out there. Just the, just the idea of thumbing their nose at the, uh, at the laws that are in place to, to try and protect the environment for example building a huge road uh in the in the assessment phase when all that's really uh required or permitted is uh, is a small 
trail that can easily, you know, be turned back to nature. But I can tell you for the size of the road out there and the damage that's been done already shows that these companies, you know, the, the, the contractor and the proponent are thumbing their nose at the law. Mm. So <clears throat> it sounds uh, like, Shelley, that uh, getting the federal environmental assessment uh, will not be accomplished by, uh, you know, writing our letters and um, referring to, to the checklist. There seems to be um, a, a political dimension here. There have there has to be pressure, I guess, the kind yes. of the squeaky wheel gets the grease uh, type uh, situation. Exactly. So, you, so and and so, how do you feel? How do you see things unfolding then to try and get that very important federal assessment? Um, I, I think that we have to watch very carefully what is happening. Um, I, I think that, you know, we need to give every bit of evidence that we can to the, uh, you know, to the, to the women that we met with uh, last Thursday uh, to make sure that the decision that they make as to whether this is on the project list, for example, uh, can be properly uh, um uh, you know, there can be a proper assessment done of, of that. Uh, we, we, there's opportunity for us to hold their feet to the fire, to make sure that things are done properly. And when we get a decision as to whether or not this is going to be uh, assessed uh, under the, uh, you know, Impact Assessment Act, the, the, the federal legislation, if we don't think that that uh, decision is reasonable, uh, then there's always the court. We can always uh, ask uh, the uh, a judge to review the minister's decision. Right. Are you concerned about the substantially begun uh, issue? Because that's uh, the part of the federal act that says if a project has substantially begun, too late to stop it. So even though it might not meet the federal guidelines, it'll go ahead because too much work has been done. Uh, is that a Again, possibility? Again, you know, with, with as many people, Glenn, you know, pointing out what's happening and saying, hey, you know, you, you, you're, you're just letting them break the law. You're just, you're just, you know, I don't, I don't think that they're going to try and fall back on that because again, there's always the court. They have to be reasonable. They're, the decisions that they make have to be in the best interests of everybody. And they have to obey the law just like everybody else. Lawyer Shelley Sr., who represents the Environmental Transparency Committee. For the record, Mi'kmaq Matters is part of the same coalition as the ETC and attended the meeting with the Impact Assessment Agency of Canada earlier in June. And that's it for the program. Look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And introducing our new website, Mi'kmaqMatters.com. Mi'kmaq Matters is brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at Patreon.com slash Mi'kmaq Matters. The Mi'kmaq Matters team is producer Allison Baker, correspondent Greg Jaynes, and researcher Hilary McInnes. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Emson Ogilvy.